0: and welcome
1: to Gloucester Vineyard Church's weekly podcast. We're creating a community that brings hope and joy to Gloucestershire, and we are thrilled that you've downloaded this message. We hope you enjoy this message and that it speaks to you where you're at. If you'd like to know more about us as a church or how you can join in on a Sunday morning, you can find all the details on our website, www.gloucestervineyard.org. So, without further ado, here's the message for this week. Okay, now... I'm sure that all of us know that kid. I'm sure that actually some of us in the room were that kid who just asks those r- really uh, difficult questions. Do you all know that kid? You know, that one who's constantly asking, why, why, why? And you end up kind of going, because, because, because. Um, but as grown-ups, we're kind of used to being asked all the questions, and we're actually used to being the ones who know all the answers as well. Um, so, you know, that animal is called a platypus. We're gonna have bangers and mash for tea. You can go to school when you're four. These are quite simple kind of binary answers. They're nice and easy. But then all of a sudden, in my experience, apparently overnight, these same children start asking things like, what's the internet? Or how does a cow make milk? Or what's space made out of? And you're kind of thinking, I feel like I know the answers to these questions. But when you try and articulate those answers to a six-year-old, you realize that, actually, I don't have any idea how a solid green thing enters a cow and comes out of a cow as a delicious white liquid. I'm like, how? I I kind of, I know the process, but I don't know how. Do you know what I mean? Like how Google works. Um, And if I'm honest, most of the time, my response is usually something like, it's magic. Or if I'm feeling particularly religious, I might say, it's Jesus magic. That's a joke, nobody send me any emails during the week. Uh, I'm only joking. Um, But, so we're used to getting those awkward questions from kids, but actually recently I had one of those questions from a grown-up ask me one of those questions. We were running the Alpha course, um, which is like a kind of 10, 11 week long video course where people who don't currently identify as followers of Jesus come along and they watch some videos, they have a meal, have a chat, it's kind of a safe environment where people can come learn a bit, ask their questions, and kind of go on. And on the first week, we always ask the question of the people who have gathered. Like, if Jesus was to walk in, if God was real and he walked into the room right now, what's like the one question that you would ask him? It's a really cool question. Um, and, uh, And we got all of the usual responses. We got like, what's with all the suffering and pain in the world? Great question. What was like, what's with other faiths? Great question. And then one of the guys on the Alpha course last year just turned around and went, I think i just want to know like what does god want and i was like uh that's a really good question and it kind of hit me like a ton of, ton of bricks because i was like that's a re- that's a really good question it's a really simple question like what's the simple answer and like i've been following jesus for over 30 years so in my brain my brain was doing what i'm assuming other brains in the room are doing and i'm like listing things i have got like lists and bullet points running through my head like God wants loads of stuff. <laughs> but I was like, but they must, that's such a simple and pure question. What does God want? And I found I didn't have like one headline simple answer for what God wants. And... Uh, I, now luckily for me, during that Alpha session, the idea is not that we try and answer the questions, the idea is that you just kind of dignify the question-asking question process. So luckily I had a really good get-out clause and could sound really like smart and go, well, maybe that'll come up organically over the course of the coming weeks. And inside I'm thinking, I need to get up extra early tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I need to nail this down. Like what does God want having massive existential crisis at the beginning of Alpha? Um, so, guys, this is our question for this morning. What does God want? And I thought it would be fun to start off this morning by asking you guys, what do you think God wants? So you will find yourselves on tables with other friendly human beings, and what I would like for you to do is to take two minutes to discuss on your table and write down as many things as you can, what does God want? Now, caveats, there are no wrong answers here. There are no silly answers. You can give serious responses, silly answers. Your response can be, I have absolutely no idea. That is absolutely fine. I just want to hear from you guys. What does God want? Okay, okay, so that's time up. You've had two minutes. Let's really quickly have a snapshot of the room. So can I start with these guys over here? Somebody shout out to me, what does God want? Give me your top three or four. Wants the best for us. Brilliant, so we've got some great answers there. He wants a relationship, he wants ice cream. Who doesn't want ice cream? And he wants the best for us as individuals. That's fantastic. This table over here, anything new to contribute? Family, there, so family, yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting, kind of qualifies the relationship bit very good anything else once our hearts yeah covers the whole oh, very good do you want to come and do this That's great That's a great answer um anybody else this table over here how about you what did you get <laughs> fantastic some difficulty reading the handwriting there there's so some great ones there some relationship with god relationship with each other both of those things to be honored or glorified to use a bible word that's great really good um you guys you guys have anything that you wanted to add The gospel, people to hear the good news. That's very good, yeah, so people to hear about him. That's fantastic. How about this table over here, you guys? Yeah, very good. Excellent, so yeah, so that's talking about loving our neighbors and loving God, so kind of like love moving in different directions and being filled with God's love as well. That's fantastic, brilliant. You guys, anything new to contribute? Nothing, God doesn't want anything. That's a great, what a great answer what does god want nothing it's like what do you guy, what do you get a guy who already has everything who created everything for his birthday uh anyway that's slightly weird tangent um table over here what anything anything new to contribute if you have you guys been copying each other's answers so love desires to love the guy who lacks nothing all he could want is is love coming back That's that's great. Again, you you guys want to come and finish this. That's a fantastic answer. Great. Brilliant. But there we go. So across the board, we've got uh, a variety of answers from ice cream to relationship to being honored to nothing at all. What does God want? As we can see, there are some answers up for grabs. And I think this is a really, really important for us question for us to look to answer. Because depending on How we answer that question—it's going to depend on how we think about God, and it's also going to depend on how we behave to other people in the world. Because if we follow Jesus, if we're interested in 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 Father God, then then we should want the same things that He wants, right? So that should be that should be in alignment. So if we think that that God wants everybody to go to heaven, or as we've heard, as the good news to be preached, then we're going to probably behave in such a way that we're going to tell everybody that we meet about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives or maybe we believe that God wants for poverty to be eradicated there's no more poor people in the world that there's a kind of greater sense of equity then we're going to really push into charitable stuff we're going to start stuff and give to stuff and things like that or maybe we just think that God wants for us to do more kind things and less selfish things then if that's the case then we're going to really push into our behavior and we're going to be really bothered about other people's behavior as well so this is a crucially important question to answer, and it's obviously also crucially important if you've yet to make your mind up about Jesus. If you're here today and you're actually not convinced by this whole church and Jesus thing, then this is a question that you kind of need to answer, like what does God want? And if you're considering following him, you need to know a good question to that, uh, answer to that question. And I kept coming back to this again and again and again. I grew really, really hungry for a decent Proper headline answer that would satisfy me. An answer which works no matter who I am and what my story might be. An answer that works no matter where I live in the world. An answer which works no matter where I find myself in history, either before Jesus came or after Jesus came. An answer which works on every single page of the Bible. An answer which explains everything that God does. So, today, in the kind of 20 odd minutes that we have left, we're gonna wade into that fairly enormous question. We're gonna ask, what does God want? And so to try and find any kind of answer that we're gonna rely on, um, we are going to go to what I consider to be the most logical place to look. We're gonna go to the first three chapters of the Bible. Um, So the Bible is one book, it's made up of many many books it's more like a little mini library there's 66 books in the bible the first book is a book called genesis and that genesis is kind of divided up as all of the other books are divided up into chapters just so we can find our way around it a little bit easier and the first three chapters of the book of genesis the first three chapters of the bible are honestly absolutely fascinating or at least i think they're absolutely fascinating i Absolutely love them and I have become over the last couple of years completely obsessed with the first three books of the Bible and the more I've become obsessed with them the more I've kind of learned that that's the point you're supposed to be obsessed with the first three books of the Bible because what they do is they introduce all the main characters they introduce all the main themes They introduce they even teach you how to read the rest of the book the first three books of the Bible are extraordinarily deep but I love the fact that you could pick it up as a five-year-old and read it And you could understand what it's saying and yet you could continue to read it and study it with every remaining minute of your life and you would never reach the depth of what it's trying to say and how it reverberates out into the world can you tell i'm slightly obsessed with these three chapters i'm so passionate about it um so but basically if we're on a hunt for answers if we've got a giant question like what does god want then the first three chapters of this book are I think the most logical place to go looking for an answer, but I'm going to assume today that not everybody here is as nerdy as I am and doesn't read the first three books of this Bible again and again and again for fun. I'm just going to go and make that assumption. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to walk through the first book a little bit this morning. And the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, is a wonderful, beautiful, poetic account of God creating the world. And immediately, as we dive in, we're on the trail for what God wants. Because he's going to extraordinary lengths to create this incredible world. And I guess the logical question to ask is, if he's going to these extraordinary lengths, what's the point? Why is he doing it? And um, so many of us when we pick up this book we get bogged down immediately because we're looking for scientific answers about how god made the world we're like we're we're trying to tease out the formulas like how did god make the world and let me just tell you just straight flat off just don't bother don't even go there because that's not what it's trying to tell you the first book of this bible is trying to tell us why did god make the world so if you go looking for how you're going to come away disappointed but if you go looking for why you're going to come away with an armful Um, so We're going to jump in. And rather than me just waffle at you for the next five minutes, I thought I'd let a video waffle at you. You're welcome. So, Ben, are we ready to go with the first video? So we're going to watch a really short video, which is going to walk us through the first six days of creation. Go for it.
2: Now, the opening line of the whole Bible is, in the beginning, God created the skies and the land.
0: Now, your Bible translation might say the heavens and the earth. In Biblical Hebrew, the word for heaven refers simply to the sky above. And the word for earth does not mean globe, but rather the land. The ground below us. Right. This line is summarizing what's going to happen in the following narrative, which starts in the next line. And it
2: reads, now the land was wild and waste.
0: This phrase rhymes in Hebrew. The land was tohu vavohu, which means unordered and uninhabited. This is the ancient way of talking about the pre-creation state, what we might call nothingness. For the biblical authors, non-existence means having no purpose and no order. And the next line uses another image to say the same thing.
2: And darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. What's the deep abyss?
0: Yeah, it's a dark, chaotic ocean. It's another common way the ancients described the non-reality that preceded creation. Now, here's where things start to get interesting, because in the midst of those dark waters,
2: God is present. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters.
0: The Hebrew word for God's spirit is ruach, which can refer to wind or breath or God's invisible presence.
2: So you can't see it, but God is present in the darkness, ready to bring order so that life can flourish. Yes,
0: and this ordering happens in a series of six days.
2: Each day begins with the phrase, and God said, and then ends with the phrase, and there was evening and morning.
0: Yeah, every day addresses those problems introduced in verse 2, that there's no order and no inhabitants. So on days 1 through 3, God splits apart that unordered darkness into three ordered realms. Then on days 4 through 6, God fills the uninhabited wasteland with creatures. Interesting. Let's see how that works. Okay, so the first realm of order begins with light on day one. Ah, yes. Let there be light. This is God's own glorious light that fills and contains the darkness as he separates day from night. God's establishing the order
2: of time. Okay, and then on day two, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What's the vault?
0: In the ancient culture of the biblical authors, the sky was perceived as a solid dome that holds back waters. God's depicted here as splitting the chaos waters in half, above and below, which creates the realms of the sky and the
2: seas. And then on day three, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear.
0: God is establishing the realm of the land, and it emerges out of the chaotic waters. And then there's a bonus creative act on day three. God invites plants and fruit trees with seed to emerge out of the
2: land. Okay, so we've got the realms of time, the realm of the sky and the seas, and the land. And they all have order. Right. Now, it's time to go back and
0: fill these realms of days one through three with inhabitants. This is what happens on
2: days four through six. So in day four, Let there be lights in the vaults of the sky.
0: God installs these lights, the sun, moon and stars, as signs and symbols that reflect God's own light. He gives them his own royal power to separate day and night.
2: Then on day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the land. Yeah, these are the creatures that
0: live in the waters below and those that fly near the waters above. Then finally, on day
2: six, let the land produce living creatures.
0: They emerge up out of the ground to live on the land. And then, matching that bonus act of creation on day three, God makes a special land creature, human, or in Hebrew, Adam. Then, God provides all of those plants from day three as abundant food.
2: Now, the opening line of the whole Bible is, in the beginning, God created the skies and the land.
0: Now, your Bible translation might say, the heavens and the earth. In biblical Hebrew, the word Fabulous.
2: Thank you,
1: Ben. Sorry, I thought it might do that. That's my fault. It looped it rather than stopping it. I beg your pardon. Okay, so there we are. God has made the world in six days. It's a wonderful poetic description of, of, of God making the world. Where am I on these notes? Oh, here I am. So, and after each day that God creates the world, he stops and he pauses to almost like evaluate his work to kind of go, okay, how's that? Is that fit for purpose? And after each day, he declares that it is good. It's this kind of recurrent theme. It's good, it's good. He makes the sky, it's good. He makes the land, it's good. Um, But then on day six, after he makes humans, he breaks the pattern and he says that humans are very good. It's like when you're playing a a game with the kids in the living room and you've like hidden something and the kids are looking around and you're going warmer, warmer, getting warmer. So when God's saying it's good, it's good, it's good, he makes humans and it's very good. So if we're on the trail of the answer of why did God make the world, what does God want, as he creates humans, we're suddenly getting to this moment where it's very good. We're getting warmer, we're getting warmer. Um, and as he declares humans to be very good we start to see all of the other days in new light We suddenly realise that you know making time and land and food and company and work and beauty These are the things that actually matter to human beings like where would we be without the construct of time? And all of this wonderful food and this sunshine and water and this fantastic planet that is just let's face it Perfect for human life. I mean we've spread out to cover all of it. It's clearly perfect for human life We're learning here that God is creating a planet place place where human beings can flourish and be humans but there's more as we will discover because so far we've only covered six days and as some people might know this kind of poem this poetic description of how God made the world talks about how God made the world in seven days so what did God do on the seventh day what did he do next did God just want to make a place for humans to flourish and thrive did he kind of want to make like a really amazing human being zoo Um, now And what will God do next? Will he just kind of stand back and watch as things play out? Or is he going to do something else? What does God do next? Let's find out as we watch a, like the second part of this video about what God does on the seventh day.
0: Now, after the six days we get a concluding line that links back to the keywords of the opening line.
2: And so we're completed the skies and the land and all their inhabitants.
0: Except there's one more day. It stands outside the pattern of days one through six. It's the big climax.
2: And God completed on the seventh day the work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy. So
0: God rests on the seventh day. This is a standard biblical image where God, after ordering the cosmos, comes to rest and dwell in his sacred space. It's like the whole world is a holy temple where God lives with
2: his people. Now that phrase, there was evening and morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. That's right. The seventh day has no end. That's because Genesis 1 is
0: describing God's ideal vision for the whole cosmos.
2: A place where God lives with his partners to rule the world in harmony forever.
0: Now. After the six days, we get a concluding line that links back to the keywords of the opening line.
1: And so we're completed. Thanks, Ben. Sorry, same problem with that video. You're amazing. Round of applause for Ben. Isn't he great? Fantastic. Thanks, buddy. My apologies. Um, so great. So far from taking a step back from this human zoo that he's created, um, as we heard in that video, God rested He came to rest in the creation, and when we as humans here rest, we kind of imagine God going off somewhere else comfortable to put his feet up and have a cuppa. But as the video said, that's not what the biblical concept of rest is. He's actually, when he's resting, he's coming into the creation that he's made. I don't know if you caught it, but in the video it said, very briefly, that that when God was making the world, what he was making was a temple. And once a temple had been created, the last thing that happens in the creation of a temple is that the God moves into the temple. Okay, it just got weird. I just used a really weird word. I just used the word temple. Now, that's not a word that we use every day. But don't worry, I wouldn't be using it unless it was important. Because for the whole of human history, human beings have been creating temples it's only recently like in the last 150 ish years that we've stopped doing that and we start to think that that idea is a little bit weird Um, but for the entirety of human history people have been building temples and temples are really simple and really important spaces temples are simply places where human beings can go and meet with gods where puny humans can go and have a relationship and talk to God and as we've just read from that incredible poetic narrative about how and why God made the world God has made this incredible enormous world to be one ginormous temple one enormous space where human beings and gods can come at God sorry can come and Live together that was very close Um, where human beings and God can come and live together as we heard on the seventh day God rested on the seventh day God entered into the temple in order to be with the human beings that he had made and there my friends at last we have it this is what God wants what the God of the Bible wants from the very first page to the last page is to live in this world with the wonderful human beings that he has made He doesn't want to just live with the human beings as neighbors, but he wants to be friends. He doesn't want to just be friends, he wants to be family. He doesn't just want to be family, he wants to be close, intimate, loving family. Every page of the book that follows from these first three chapters tells the story of what God wants. It tells the story of how God moved into the world with his humans, how he generously lavished them with everything that they needed to thrive, including giving them the choice to turn away from him if they so chose. And it tells a story about how these human beings he made tragically and repeatedly take that opportunity, make that choice to turn away from God. How humans tragically and repeatedly believe the lies that the devil whispers into their ears about the goodness of the God who created this world. And how those choices to turn away from God eventually lead to death and destruction and misery. It also tells the story about how God repeatedly gives these human beings a chance to recreate the Garden of Eden with him, to come and live with him and experience him, how he provides them as a community with mechanisms and instructions for how they can, as a community, live in such a way that they can live in unity with him, because that's what God wants. And time after time after time, you read in the Bible story after story of those human beings choosing to turn away from God. But it also tells the story about how god decided that enough was enough when he decided that human beings could never fully repair the relationship that was broken themselves and so god himself would have to come into this mess of the world that we this hell that we have created here on earth in order to create a permanent way by which human beings can find their way back to god find their way back to that garden a way that would pay the price for the awful, world-ruining decisions that we've made, a way that would mend the broken relationship, a way which would create little pockets of the Garden of Eden, where human beings and God can live in peace together. And it tells of the story of how Jesus is that person, how God came in the person of Jesus to die and take upon himself everything that was ruining the world in order to recreate that wonderful temple that God had made in the first place. And it goes on right at the end on the last pages of the book to talk about how in the end, in the big end, God is going to get what he wants ultimately. How heaven, where God lives, is going to come to earth where we live and he will come and live with us and we will live together in peace and for anybody who identifies with Jesus in that moment, they will live in peace together forever. Can I get an amen? Thank you. There was about two so two people agree with me. Good. Guys, this is what God wants. This is what the story of the Bible is all about. And once you've caught on onto this idea, you end up seeing it all over the place as you're reading it. Like there's for example, God wants to live with people so much that at one point he instructs his people to make a little portable tent which goes wandering around the desert with, him, with them so that he can live in the center of his people. No, seriously, he, he tells them to make a tent that he can live in. It's called a tabernacle. He wants to live with them so much that he actually designed for them a day in the week and said, one day a week out of every single week of the year, I want you to act as if you're living in the Garden of Eden with me, the way I design things to work. I want you to stop working. I want you to do everything about life which is good. I want you to push into joy. I want you to live in relationship with me. Let's come and spend some time together. One day a week, every single week, it's called a Sabbath. When Jesus finally came into the world to set everything right, he had a special name. His name was Emmanuel, and the name means God is with us. God has come to live with us. That's what God really wants. And in the last book of the Bible, as I said, the last book is called Revelation. And it just comes out and says it really, really plainly. It's talking about how all of this is going to get wrapped up and how God's going to set everything right. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. That's what God wants. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He just said it three times in just three different ways. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. This is what happens when God comes and lives with his people. What does God want? God wants to come and live with us. And he doesn't just want to be flatmates. He's not looking for decent lodgers. He's looking for adopted children who he can lavish his love upon. It is really neatly summarized in one of the biographies of Jesus' life written by his mate John. It says it right at the very beginning. It says this. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They were reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God and then it says it really neatly so the word became human that's John's way of talking about Jesus saying Jesus God became human and made his home among us because that's what God wants what God wants is to live in an intimate relationship with you and with me he wants to live here in this world that he's created He's looking for his children to come and live with him in the garden, just like it was at the beginning. And so as I come into land this morning, my question for all of us is, what do you want? We spent all morning unpacking at great length what God wants. But my question for you is, what do you want? What do we as individuals want? Because the deal is the same today as it was on page one. We can still choose to turn our backs on God, and if we choose that, he will respect our choice. Even if that road leads to death and destruction, he will respect that choice. Or do we want the same thing that God wants? Are our hearts in alignment with him? Do we want to be his kids? Do we want to live in that garden relationship with God? Do we want to accept his gift of eternal life? Because if we do, we might have a bit of work to do, because it's all very, good, very, very well and good saying that we want that with our mouths, but we might also need to start doing that with our actions. We might need to say yes with our actions. So maybe for some of us, we're here today and we're ready to say yes to God for the first time, to take him up on that offer of being his kids. And if that's you, we'll kind of lead you through that process in a bit. Maybe we've been on a bit of a journey and we've sampled what this world of rebellion has to offer and it's left us feeling empty and wanting maybe for some of us we're in a place where after covid we've just drifted away we've just drifted off somewhere and we just need to come back and recommit ourselves to God or maybe for some of us here we've just become aware of an area in our lives which is just nothing but rebellion against God and we know that we're doing things which ruin our relationship with him Uh, And we're choosing them anyway. Maybe that's where we are. Today is a day to choose to turn away from those things and to make space for God to move back in again. Guys, wherever we're at, we are the ones who change. We are the ones who need to make the change. God never changes. He's wanted the same thing on page one that he wants on page whatever at the end of the book. God wants to come and live in an intimate relationship with us as his kids. Okay, that's all for this week. I hope that blessed you and you found that helpful. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and check out our website, www.glostervineyard.org.